folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. We're so thankful to you all for making Season 1 of Typology such a raging success with over 2 million downloads. That's right, 2 million downloads in our first season. We really do appreciate you listening and sharing Typology with your friends. Before I get to our program, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Typology Podcast. And of course, you can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian Cron and on Instagram at Ian Morgan Cron. Be sure to stick around to the end of the show and hear Sleeping At Last Enneagram inspired song six. And Ian is introducing our guest today, so I'll leave the details to him on that. That's it for me, Anthony Skinner. And now on with Typology. And here is the host of our show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology Tribe, this is Ian Cron, your host. And today we have my friend and Enneagram 6, Jeff Chu, on the line. Let me tell you a little bit about him before we get started. So Jeff Chu is a journalist and a seminarian at Princeton Theological Seminary. Uh, most recently, right, your last gig was on staff at Fast Company. Is that right? That's right. Right. And then you've written about international affairs. Um, you you led their uh, award-winning coverage of China. Your big gig was at Time Magazine, right? That was a past life of mine, yes. A past life, right. And among others, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, and Modern Farmer. I'm a wannabe farmer. <laughs> Which one of these doesn't go with the others? That's, uh, that's, that's fantastic. So, Jeff, you are an Enneagram 6. And are you a phobic or counterphobic 6? I would say from my pattern of running away from things, phobic sounds about right. Yeah, man. So, for those of you who don't know, there are two types of 6s. There are phobic 6s who uh, are aware of their anxiety uh, and in response to it, they tend to flee, right? Uh, they, they go into flight mode. Now, there's a counterphobic six that's l- far less in touch with their anxiety, in fact, almost entirely, and they respond to what they perceive as the source of danger by going into fight mode, right? So oftentimes they get uh, mistyped as eights on, on the Enneagram. So welcome, phobic six, Jeff. Thank you. I have never run the risk of being mistyped as an eight. <laughs> so listen, I want to jump out of the box, you know, out of the gate really fast and ask you the, say the, the question, um, I think at one time our country was a three country. We were, we were obsessed with the the great success story, uh, Horatio Alger. You know, uh, get ahead, very image conscious, uh, really wanting to appear successful to the outside world. But I think it's transitioned in the last few years to being an Enneagram Six country. What do you think? I see that. I see the fear. I've been reading a lot about uh, the fears that people have. Uh, It is a little bit of the chicken little effect. The sky is falling. Right. And I feel that in my heart in so many situations. We see so many of our fellow Americans worried about their income, worried about 
coming under attack, whether it's an attack on their values or an attack on the country or an attack on their faith. And fear is the operating mechanism there, mm-hmm. right? Fear of so many different things, fear of the unknown, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's, that's represented in our obsession with nostalgia. Um, you know, let's go back to how things were before, which is brand new for America. I mean, we, we were always a country that was forward-looking, and I think that's a sign of anxiety as well. But the nostalgia, right, is always going back to an airbrushed image. Mm-hmm. It's not how things actually were. It's how things appear in our minds. Right. There, it's this romanticized image of the past. And I'm really good as a six at creating a roman- romanticized images of how things should be. And I think that's what makes so much of what happens in my everyday life scary is mm. I have control over the romanticized image. I don't have control over the reality. Right. So what does that look like? What What is your ideal um, environment or setting that helps you control anxiety? Well, it depends on what I'm doing, right? There are places like my kitchen where I feel like I know what I'm doing, especially when I'm cooking Chinese food. <laughs> That's probably the place where I feel most grounded, Mm -hmm. the most sure, because I have muscle memory, I have expertise, I know I'm good at that. Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of fear, even though, even when I'm cooking, I think, oh, the knife could slip at any moment. (laughs) Take off your finger, a hand. Maybe, maybe (laughs) one, usually not both. Well, you know, the, the passion or the, the deadly sin of the six is fear that most often, right? Most often is sort of experiences a buzz of anxiety all the time, right? Yes, absolutely. There's this subcurrent of anxiety all the time, whether it's fear of failure of an exam or a quiz, which is what I experience as a student, or fear of a car crash when I'm driving down the street, or fear that the unexpected could happen, which it could. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Totally. It absolutely could at any moment. Yeah. In fact, it does. It does. Yeah. (laughs) It does. Thanks. Thanks for taking me to that place. Yeah. Sorry about that. Xanax is a, you know, pharmaceuticals is a really great way of dealing with anxiety, but the separate separate issue. So, you know, worst case scenario thinkers, uh, these loyalists as they're called, are you a worst case scenario thinker? I just said to someone the other day, anytime you need to play out all the worst case scenarios, just call me. I'm really? probably oh. ready with them. Okay, do you have an example of one? Well, uh, so... Being on Twitter, right? Being on Twitter is a high fear, high anxiety environment. You should see how long it takes me to compose a tweet. You should see how many tweets I actually write out in my notes app before I post one because of all the things that could happen. And those things include not getting retweeted or liked at all Mm. or getting retweeted or liked by the wrong people Mm. or being misunderstood going viral or not going viral, all of these things are potentially bad. Have you ever been trolled? Oh, yeah, of course. What was that like? I've never been trolled. 
I mean, it depends on how interesting the person is, right? Because sometimes it can actually be really fun. And when I'm grounded, I can channel this Twitter persona because Twitter, most of us, it's just a thin slice of who we actually are. Mm. I can channel the best version of myself, which is grounded and hopeful and thoughtful and calm. Hmm. All right. So, like, have you ever been mobbed on Twitter? What do you mean by mobbed? You know, having a huge group of people like sort of like in a flood of criticism or, you know, really beating you up, getting personal, that sort of thing. Does that make you anxious? That possibility of that make you anxious? For a six, I would say two people is probably a mob, right? <laughs> I guess. So it's kind of relative. Uh, of course, you, you run the risk of getting criticized, especially, look, I'm gay. I'm a Christian, I'm Chinese-American. When I bring any or all of those identities to the game and I say what I truly believe, there's risk in that. Uh, there's risk in being who you are. And, and yeah, you have to learn to deal with that if you're going to be on social media. That's a really interesting idea. There's a risk in being who you are. Because in many ways, that, that may be the most frightening risk for any human being. Who, wasn't there some famous person who said that we all want to be known, but the thing that we fear most is being known? Mm. Well, I, I don't know who that was, but uh, it, it sounds it rings true to my, my ears um, and to my experience as well. I think the great fear is rejection, uh, the rejection of who you really are, the rejection of some aspect of something core to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah, at the core of shame, which is not the issue of sixes as much as fear, but at the core of, of shame is the fear of exposure followed, I think, by rejection um, or ridicule, you know? That would be awful. Yeah, I think humiliation is, is part of uh, the toxic mix that I find in myself. But when sixes disintegrate, they go to three, right? Mm -hmm. Threes struggle with shame, so... Uh, it's kind of the best of both worlds when we're stressed out. <laughs> you, right, you could be anxious and ashamed. Right. <laughs> That's really great. But it must have served you well as a as a reporter being a six because y'all have excellent analytical minds. You're great strategists, troubleshooters, problem solvers. And, of course, you see worst case scenarios that other people don't see. And you're, you're able to name them um, pretty darn quickly. You see them before anyone else. We're also a little bit skeptical, mm -hmm. which means we ask questions, we interrogate things, we don't take things at face value. And right. I, th I think sixes make good reporters, especially sixes with five wings. Mm. So you get the combination of skepticism, uh, questioning, but also the desire to gather information and data. Yes. Well, you're just so good at seeing through pretense. And, you know, detecting people's ulterior motives and really, uh, you know, and questioning authority, which I find interesting because I think that would arouse a lot of anxiety. I think it's a gift that the sixes bring to any situation to be able to see past facades, mm. to be able to ask, is that person really who he or she says he or she is? Is that person consistent with their stated values? We're constantly going through this litany of questions, trying to figure out who we can trust and who we can't trust. Mm. And especially, well, I would say both in situations uh, involving uh, social interaction where you're meeting new people. 
uh, or reporting or politics in America in 2018. All of these uh, tools and skills that sixes tend to naturally have are pretty useful. Okay, so have you ever written a story that, you know, after it was published, you know, you were like, oh, what was I thinking? What, why did I do that? Uh, pretty much every story <laughs> of my career. So one of the things I've learned recently about being a six is that, in my version of it at least, mm. we often procrastinate. Yes. Because we don't want to get rejected, right? Our fear of rejection is so strong. And so if I don't produce a story, there's nothing for you to reject. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence, for instance, that this is finally the story that shows me to be a charlatan. Right. And also because I think sixes don't like to be in the spotlight. Because when you're in the spotlight, uh, then you are out in the open for folks to attack you. A lot of us tend to be wallflowers. Really? Like like nines? Not nines... in the same way, maybe the, the, the behavior is the same, but the motivations might be different. Mm. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I think one of the mistakes uh, many of us often make is we're looking at uh, the behaviors when we're thinking about the Enneagram. That's yes. what happens when we try to diagnose other people, right? Yes, Which yes. we're not supposed to do. But it's about the motivation. Mm-hmm. So the wallflower behavior for a nine m- is probably motivated by something different than the wallflower behavior of a six. Mm-hmm. So the uh, motivation that runs underneath the traits and characteristics uh, of a six is uh, a compulsive need to feel safe and secure in a world that you feel is unpredictable and dangerous, right? It, can I ask you a story? Like, like, can you just actually give a story of, of a, an experience where, you know, it could be humorous, maybe not, of when that really kicked into gear. And uh, like we had a Enneagram 6 on the show once who said that that she would literally like, you know, basically count seats to the exit on an airplane, you know, or she didn't want to be uh, upgraded to first class because people in first class get killed more often than people in economy if a plane crashes. Do you, you have one of those? So I will give you an example. It's a pretty serious story. Uh, As you mentioned, I'm a seminarian. I'm in the Reformed Church in America, which is basically uh, the church that the Dutch started when they uh, came to set up colonies in America way back in the day. And we are at odds over sexuality right now, which doesn't bode well for me as a gay man, right? And entering the ordination process has been hard. There are groups of people I don't know who have to vote on my ordination. Mm. The stories that I spun in my mind as I waited to find out what these nine folks had voted, the stories about their backstories, uh, what prejudices they might bring to the table, all the things that they could possibly hold against me, things that they found on Facebook, things that they found online, uh, something that they may have misunderstood about me. It was such an elaborate mental house of cards that could collapse in my mind at any given moment. Mm. One of my coping mechanisms for that 
which reveals my five wing, I suppose, is uh, I had the opportunity to get folks uh, from within the denomination and outside the denomination to send in letters of support. Mm. And I think the folks who were kind of supervising me, they thought I might get like half a dozen letters. I created a spreadsheet. I created a spreadsheet that had uh, all the different regions in my denomination so that I could cover as many regions as possible. I had famous people. I had not famous people. I had men and women. I had uh, people who held every single office in the church, elder, deacon, pastor, professor, uh, commissioned pastor, which is a thing in our denomination. I wanted to cover all the bases and create some sort of order in what I saw as chaos. Mm. And did it work? It did, but I'm trying to tell myself it wasn't my crazy that got me approved. <laughs> Well, I mean, you got approved. I did. So congratulations. Thanks. That's fantastic. Uh, But I think, you know, sometimes sixes tend to see situations like mine, uh, but also any circumstance in life as like kind of an American ninja warrior course, (laughs) except times 10,000. And I know your listeners can't see me, but I'm pretty scrawny. And how can I get through this American Ninja Warrior course when I just don't have the physique to do it? And I haven't done an adequate training and I haven't uh, prepared well. Mm. And that's kind of what life feels like sometimes. Right. Yeah. Well, you were just mentioning something that you you kind of began to, uh, I think, said something to the effect that you started to launch mental narratives in your head of all that could go wrong. And, you know, you went into a proactive mode to uh, try and, you know, prevent that from, from happening. And, you know, lately I've been thinking a lot about how each type isn't just a type, it's a narrative. It's a, it's a whole story that we, that we launch or actually that, um, you know, it's the story we tell ourselves and others about who we are. And it's rarely very accurate. And it, it is influenced by the Enneagram. So if I said to you, like, as you look over the course of your life, what's the narrative you tell yourself and others about who you are? For much of my life, that narrative has really been, if you really knew me, you would walk away. Mm. If you really knew what I've been through, what I've done, what I've thought, what I've felt, you would reject me. Hmm. And that's interesting. Yeah, continue. I think some of that has to do with past trauma, right? Mm. Yep. And shame that I feel about things that have happened to me. Mm. Some of it is uh, lingering guilt about things that I've done. Mm. Uh, Mistakes that I've made. And I don't know, sometimes I wonder whether sixes might not be the best fiction writers out there if we could get over our fear of actually putting our thoughts down because we spin such elaborate stories of what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, but I think every human being is, but because they have a narrative, they're always remembering the future. You know, they, they're always using the past to predict the future, right? So maybe past trauma or whatever. And and we kind of keep that running as a sort of a preemptive 
preparation for a future, you know. But I guess sixes would experience that at some level more than other people. I only know my experience as a six. Uh, I, you know, on on financial things, there is uh, that uh, disclaimer that says past performance is no guarantee of future results. Mm. And for some people, I think that sounds promising. For other people, that sounds like a threat. Right. And and sixes are notorious for forgetting past successes. Oh, I write off past successes instantly because the next opportunity is just an opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Or to, um, I guess, probably come under attack of some kind, right, for failing. Exactly. The failure in and of itself isn't the problem for us. Mm. It, it's the consequences of the failure. It's what it does to our relationships. It's mm-hmm. what it'll do to uh, how we're seen by other people, um, our support structures, really. Right. Yeah. So every, every type has a defense mechanism, right, that they rely on. So yours would be projection, uh, meaning that whatever is misunderstood that uh, that comes um, from the outside, whatever it is that that you, you f- you know what that causes you fear or anxiety, you you get rid of that fear and anxiety by projecting it outwardly on onto other people, right? How, how has that worked out for you? Does that feel accurate? I think it has felt accurate, and a lot of the work that I ha- have had to do over the last few years is learning how to be a good friend, mm. how to relate to people in a way that my false narratives don't entirely swamp a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me sometimes to let other people be my friends without spinning out all these different scenarios, mm-hmm. which become, in a sense, my realities, right? If you, if you let these fictional stories take on lives of their own, they grow and they grow and they grow and they crowd out what's actually happening. Mm. So I, this is great because I think every type can benefit from, from this conversation. Every type should know its, its defense mechanism. I'm not going to run through them now, but you know, if you can observe when you start to inhabit that space and begin to operate out of it, like like sixes when they're really stressed uh, and projection will kick in, is they become paranoid. I mean, like it it really paranoia kind of takes over, and everybody is a potential threat source. You know, and um, yeah, you just the preparedness mode really really kicks into gear in a big way. There have been moments where I can feel myself sixing in an unhealthy way. Getting all sixy. And what sometimes happens, uh, for instance, I went to a writing workshop uh, last month, and it was going to be 18 people who I'd never met before in a room. And I'm an introvert by nature, and I'm pretty shy. So as a shy introvert who's also a six, what I found myself doing the night before was texting all these different friends of mine and desperately hoping they would reply right away. Mm-hmm. 
I think sixes have a tendency to test their friends in those moments of anxiety. Yes. Test the relationships that you have. I needed to be reminded that they were there for me. And if they didn't reply right away, then that would start spinning the stories for Mm -hmm. me, right? Um, That's one of the dangers. Uh, Last week, I went and saw the Mr. Rogers movie. Oh, it was so good. I think it can be a particular gift to those of us who are sixes Hmm. because of the ways in which he grounds us in a truth that we are particularly prone to forget. Mm. which is that God is there for us, that God has created us with the confidence that we need, not in and of ourselves, but because we are beloved by God. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the through lines I saw in what Mr. Rogers was was telling kids and adults, really. uh, You mean something. You matter. You are loved no matter what. And I think it was such balm to my soul to to see uh, this image from my childhood. Uh, Mr. Rogers was one of the only shows that my grandmother would let us watch and be reminded of how necessary that is and how much we miss having those voices, Mm -hmm. especially at at a time like America in 2018. Yeah. When I hold on to that, I want to come back to Mr. Rogers in a second because I want to ask you what type you think he is on on the Enneagram because I was so struck by his, you know, I don't type, you know, I'm not a person who's like looking through the lens of the Enneagram at every single human being I meet. It's like, I don't, right. I, I just don't do that. But I was so struck by the, by the clarity and the force in that, in, in that kind personality. Have you thought about what his type is? A fun, but dangerous game to type other people. Based it is. On I know that, but he's, but he's, you know, He's gone now, God rest his soul, so I think it's open, it's open game. I think my first instinct is to ask whether he might be a two, given how altruistic he is, given his desire to be a helpful force of good in other people's lives, given his heart for supporting other people. Right, mm-hmm. not swamping other people or or taking over their narratives, but uh, wanting other people to be the best version of themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's my a, instinct. Yeah, that's a, that's that healthy altruistic too, not the one who's m- being manipulative in order to, you know, win the approval uh, of other people. One of the things about the movie that is striking is. Given the testimonies of his sons who appear in the film, as well as his widow who appears in the film, um, he seemed to be pretty much the same person on camera as off. Yeah. And he seemed to play this role in his family's life that he played in kind of the national life. Uh, There were moments where his sons seemed to talk about how exacting he was, which Mm -hmm. makes me wonder, okay, two with a one wing, maybe? Uh, I'm not sure about that, but but that makes me think, yeah, he seemed like a pretty healthy person. Yeah. Yeah. I I I was struck um by I mean I I cried about five times in that movie. You know, I'm a crier at movies, you know. And was there any scene that that was particularly affecting for you as a six? Well, so when I was a kid, I hated going to the land of make believe. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, why? Well, because Elaine was scary to me. I always felt like there was more to that puppet than we were seeing on the screen. And I just felt like there was some story going on with her and she would show up in my nightmares sometimes, I remember. So that was affecting in a way that I don't think you meant because it brought me back to the, that childhood fear of, mm. of that one character. Wow. Uh, the other thing that was affecting for me was hearing him sing and thinking to myself how much I still want to believe some of those words that he sings. Um, and it's hard for me still sometimes to believe that, for instance, someone like that would want to be my neighbor. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to be totally honest with you. Um, is it really a beautiful day? I don't know. There's so many bad things that could happen. Is, <laughs> is it a beautiful day in the neighborhood? I would like it to be a bit beautiful day in the neighborhood. And it's so sweet that he wants to be my neighbor, but he doesn't really know me yet. Mm. And, and so that, that is affecting too, to realize that, yeah, I've, uh, I hope I've grown since uh, I watched Mr. Rogers when I was a little kid. But some of those fears are still there. Some of those anxieties are still there. When he sings, it's such a good feeling, right? It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. This is not a song that a six sings getting Mm, out of bed. That's right. That's right. But it's a song that I think I would like to be able to sing someday. Yeah. Well, it is an aspiration, I guess. And I, my my sense was, and I, I said this on, on a show recently with Vons, I think he might have been a super healthy one. Like mm. a crazy healthy one. Like with a, I don't know if it was a two or nine wing. I suspect a two wing. And, you know, the fact that you, you had two numbers that were side by side kind of affirms that. Because usually if, if I, if someone tells me two numbers, they ask for help or they, get, they give me two numbers side by side, I often think that one is their wing and, and one is their, their core number. But I was so, you know, um, you know, moved by his stand for really a just world, not just a happy world, um, by his willingness to take on issues that others wouldn't touch with a stick, you know? And um, I, you know, there were so many other features of a one happening there of a super healthy one that, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just like, again, like, like in the book, the road back to you, we talk about Atticus Finch, you know, that there's this sort of strength without the unhealthy side of the one, you know, the sort of critical judgmental sort of shaming dimension. There was no shaming in that guy anywhere. There was a little shaming when he was testifying to Congress and trying to make sure they kept funding public television. Well, we'll, we'll cut him a break on that one. What do you think? <laughs> you know, I, but very clever, subtle shaming. Masterful well, shaming. 
Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Masterful. And it worked. And it worked, it, right? All right, let's worked. talk about... I want to talk about being a six with a five wing because before the show, you mentioned that that's been in, an important dimension of the Enneagram for you. And, you know, what... Like, in what sense is that important? Well, for the journalistic side of me, uh, when my wing comes through, when I know that I am digging for information, the awareness of that tendency has been really helpful, mm. uh, partly because it can go too far, right? Uh, you can fall back on some of those habits, and they become bad habits. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I don't always know when to stop. Uh, as a reporter, I've always been the kind that because I am looking for that security and the safety uh, that manifests in the approval of my editors, if they say, okay, why don't you talk to these two or three people, I will come back with 12 interviews. Mm. I will play the investigator. I will do everything I can to cover as many of the bases as I can. And being aware of that tendency and being aware of the ways in which that can uh, skew my perspective, that's been helpful. Yeah. So as I understand it, like sixes with fives, um, five wings, they, they tend to gain security by investing in really strong beliefs and aligning with a group. That's a, a very important thing for them. They're, as you just mentioned, they're more inclined to, you know, dive deeply let's say into a hobby or an area of interest they they can be aggressive too for for a cause and concerned with you know fairness and loyalty and you know they are can be reactive to sources of authority and that that don't seem fair you know um does that characterize you or does one of those stick out to you as being true truer than the others for you so i am a member of a denomination that is not sure what to do with me because of my sexuality. And a lot of folks have said, why don't you just leave? Mm. Why don't you just walk away? Why don't you go to the UCC, which ordains gay men and lesbians? Why don't you go to the PCUSA, which is also reformed and also is for the most part open and affirming. And, on multiple levels, I've chosen not to do that. And I right. think part of it has to do with my personality. I am investing in a family of faith. I think that reflects my principles, but I, I, I would be foolish if I didn't say that it also reflects my sexishness. Yeah, I, I often say that when sixes say I do, they really mean it. You know, Which it's... my husband will be really happy to hear. <laughs> Well, it's true, though. I mean, they're, they are so loyal. I mean, once they get past questioning the relationship in the beginning, right, which is like, it can be really, I, I'm told by sixes and others, that it can be very annoying, right? Is, was that 
typical of your relationship in the beginning? I think I keep my distance emotionally. Mm. As a journalist, I'm chameleonic enough, and sixes can also be chameleonic. We can act, right? We can uh, navigate our way in social situations to make people think uh, we are perhaps more open or courageous than we're actually feeling inside. Uh, but that doesn't mean we're necessarily letting people in. Mm-hmm. But once you're in, you're in. It's actually pretty hard, at least in my experience, for me to let go of a friendship. Mm. Do you sometimes stay in them like beyond their expiration date? Or will you sometimes endure, you know, not respectful behavior towards you in the in interest of maintaining the relationship? The older I get, I think the wiser I am about how much to invest. But looking back earlier in my life, I can see ways in which I chased friendships with people who were on their end no longer friends with me. Mm. So you're a six with a five, but for the sake of folks listening, here's here's how different a six with a seven is, uh, a seven wing. They're going to attempt to deal with anxiety and, and self-doubt, which is a, a major theme for, for sixes, with humor and kind of uh, with close connection to other people. Uh, they can be ingratiating toward authority figures. It's almost like, you know, if you bring an apple and leave it on the teacher's desk, it's like, you know, then they're going to keep taking care of me and, and keeping me safe. Uh, they procrastinate a lot. And you were talking about that earlier. So it's not limited to the six with the seven wing. It, it, it's kind of all inclusive. Um, they're very loyal, inclined towards sacrifice. Uh, they tend to discount their own value. And they are more extroverted and lighthearted than sixes with fives. And uh, so that's for the folks out there who suspect they might be a six with a seven. Um, and it, it, by the way, I would say that with subtypes, there are a couple of numbers that, that people need to be aware of. One is the fours and one is the sixes. The subtypes of sixes are so different from each other, they might as well be three different numbers. Same with fours. And uh, with the other types, it, it just tends to be nuanced differences, you know, shades, but not with fours and sixes. They look like three different numbers altogether in the subtypes. What Do you know your subtype? I don't. Subtypes. So that, that would be helpful for you to know, uh, whether you're a social or a, a sexual or a self-preservation six that would be really helpful i feel like i've read the descriptions and uh, for some reason i didn't gravitate towards thinking about that more and mm. i'm not sure why hmm. well it's helpful for sixes to do it because it, it really helps uh flesh out the particular type, when you see your type as it mingles with your deadly sin or passion and um, your type, you know, it's it's really, uh, it's probably one of the biggest discoveries in the last two years for me is really working with, with subtypes. So um, sixes and fours, pay attention and, and, and go learn about those because it, it could be really, really helpful for you. Um, so you mentioned earlier about, bef- you know, you were talking about some of the topic and you said, before I did my work, what, what does that mean? 
Before I did my work, uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. There's been so much work to do. So what does it mean to do your work? Like, what, How would you define that to somebody? In this season of my life, as I've been in seminary, a lot of it is self-examination. Hmm. Um, and the Enneagram has been a part of that. I think the Enneagram used badly is this uh, weapon that you brandish to tell people this is who I am and this is how you should treat me. Hmm. The Enneagram used well is a way of understanding yourself better to see the areas where you need to grow and mature mm-hmm. and become a better version of yourself and more of the person who God created you to be and is still creating you to be. Mm-hmm. So that for me is the work, uh, unpacking some of those scary things from years past. Uh, for instance, I would say... Um, Maybe it was three or four years ago, I wrote an essay about a traumatic incident that happened to me when I was 15. And writing it is different from saying it out loud. And then two years ago, I stood on a stage in front of 1,500 people and I said out loud, I was raped. And even as I say that now, it stirs up so much pain and fear just to be able to say that, right? Mm. Why did I choose this moment to do a little bit more of the work? I don't know. I didn't intend to bring that up when we first started this conversation. But that's the work. The work, I think, for me, both as a six, but also as a human being who's trying to be whole, is finding those moments of courage where I don't partition the different areas of my life. I don't section off and compartmentalize all the different experiences that I've had. Uh, Being whole means being who I am with all those scars from experiences like that and not worrying in the same ways and not fearing in the same ways that I will be rejected for saying a word that carries so much pain. Mm. Well, can I just say um, thank you for your willingness to be self-disclosing about something so tender and, um, because you're not alone and uh people of you know any background of any gender of any whatever have experienced the same horrible trauma of that and whenever someone is willing to you know say aloud something very sensitive and you know, in their experience, it's, it always ministers and blesses the world. Yeah. So I appreciate that. You, you just said, you were just speaking for a minute about, um, about being a human being, not being a type. I mean, that's what I heard, right? Or both and, right? Um, and I really, I appreciate that because one of the things I, I'm, I find myself these days 
telling people a lot is, you know, knowing your type is not the same thing as knowing who you are. In other words, um, your your personality is a constructed and highly defended, unreal or false self, actually, that we um, put together uh, in order to meet a world, you know, to navigate a world as a little kid. And then if you if you keep using it beyond its expiration date and don't disidentify with the unhealthy parts of it, you remain unreal and, as Mertens would have said, you know, uh, a false self. Um, so when I hear what you're saying about doing the work is, how do I actually move toward true? I think that's right. It's moving towards true. What does that involve? I think it involves identifying those aspects of my personality that are responses to the things that I've been through. Mm. Responses to being bullied in elementary school. Responses to not knowing English when I first went to preschool. Responses to trying to navigate different cultures. I think for those of us who uh, are not white American, navigating those cultures has definitely shaped our personalities, our Enneagram types, the way we, we respond to stresses, the way we respond in strength. All of that, sifting through it, sorting through it, trying to identify who we are and who God is making us, all of that, I think, is pursuit of what's true. I think for me, because I don't trust myself, mm-hmm. which I think is typical for us. Yes, absolutely. Reading has been an important way into my own story. Uh, reading, for instance, Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen has been such a great gift because he is so vulnerable about the pain that he experiences, about the doubt he experiences, about the questions he experiences, about whether God loves him, whether friendship on a deep level is possible. So reading someone like that, processing on the page is so helpful for me as a six, and it enables me to process my own story. Yeah, and he has such a big corpus, and I, I wonder if if you were a six, recommending to another six, which now in book to read, which, which would it be? Oh, wow. I mean, I think Wounded Healer mm-hmm. is one of the most difficult, but also one of the most fruitful. Uh, he really writes with tremendous pain, but also it's constructive Mm -hmm. because he's not writing about pain for the sake of pain. He's writing about pain for the sake of shaping people who want to be of service to other people. Yes. And I think that is... I don't know. I think there's something really powerful about that. Uh, I think The Return of the Prodigal Son Yeah, beautiful. is another of my favorites. There's that idea of home and that yeah. idea of homecoming. So many of us long for something that feels like home. And I mean that in a relational way, right? 
that is what Nowen was searching for, a sense of rest, a sense of uh, satisfaction. And as Nowen works through uh, that parable and his own life, he does something beautiful and powerful. Yes. Yeah, he really does. And, you know, he does something that is, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I, based on his writings, I don't, I mean, I don't know if, if he was a six or not or a two. It's, it's, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, but he does embody something that's true about sixes, right? Which is your, your passion or deadly sin is fear, right? And of course, moving toward wholeness is moving toward our virtue, right? Which which sort of functions as an antidote to our our deadly sin or an answer, and that is emblematic of our true self, right? And that virtue, according to some, would be faith, right? Um, and to others, it's courage. It's that's the that's what kind of is the answer, the true self's answer to the false self's anxiety um and refusal to live in that that space of of courage and so that that includes like acknowledging the fear which you've just done on this show right it's acknowledging our doubt uh, which you also have done uh, on this on this episode and then of course staying the course and maintaining faith in the process and and so you've really I just want to thank you because you've really exhibited all the features of the virtue of the six by actually sharing in your own experience the the passion or deadly sin of the six. Well, I didn't intend to do that, so awesome. Which makes it <laughs> which makes it even more real. <laughs> I, I think faith is a form of courage, or is courage a form of faith? Because it's not certainty. I'm pretty much certain about nothing. Right. But as I get older, I do feel like uh, through experience, through the blessings of deep friendship, which I'm only now coming to understand, uh, that gives me ballast uh, for my faith. That gives me ballast for courage. And I, I see all those things as gifts from God. Uh, and it is cyclical, right? As, as I learn about this, it gives me more courage that I can do it again tomorrow. But yeah. it is a, a very much a day-by-day thing. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you for, for being on Typology. Like, this was a really, like, um, you know, in, in lots of ways, a very moving show, enlightening. And um, I just deeply appreciate your willingness to, to share... Your, like we say in AA, you need your experience, strength, and hope. Thanks, Ian. I appreciate yeah. that. Well, would you come on again? Absolutely. Anytime. Wonderful. Well, all the best to you at school, in all your endeavors. And uh, like I always like I always say to our, our folks when I sign off, it's be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you, Ian. Take care. The most vivid dream My feet left the ground I was floating to heaven But I could only look down My 
and the distance. 